welcome to the Corona of Thorns podcast. I'm Father Peter Zwans, and today is Sunday of the fifth week of Lent. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And with your spirit. To prepare ourselves, let us call to mind our sins. I confess to Almighty God and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have greatly sinned in my thoughts and in my words, in what I have done and in what I have failed to do, through my fault, through my fault, through my most grievous fault. Therefore I ask, Blessed Mary, ever-Virgin, all the angels and saints, and you, my brothers and sisters, to pray for me to the Lord our God. May Almighty God have mercy on us, forgive us our sins, and bring us to everlasting life. Amen. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Let us pray. By your help, we beseech you, Lord our God. May we walk eagerly in that same charity with which, out of love for the world, your Son handed himself over to death. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. A reading from the prophet Ezekiel. The Lord says this, I am now going to open your graves. I mean to raise you from your graves, my people, and lead you back to the soil of Israel. And you will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, my people. And I shall put my spirit in you, and you will live, and I shall resettle you on your own soil. And you will know that I, the Lord, have said and done this. It is the Lord who speaks. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. With the Lord there is mercy and fullness of redemption. With the Lord there is mercy and fullness of redemption. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. O let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleading. With the Lord there is mercy and fullness of redemption. If you, O Lord, should mark our guilt, Lord, who would survive? But with you is found forgiveness. For this we revere you. With the Lord there is mercy and fullness of redemption. My soul is waiting for the Lord. I count on his word. My soul is longing for the Lord, more than watchmen for daybreak. Let the watchmen count on daybreak and Israel on the Lord. With the Lord there is mercy and fullness of redemption. Because with the Lord there is mercy and fullness of redemption, Israel indeed he will redeem from all its iniquity. With the Lord there is mercy and fullness of redemption. A reading from the letter of St. Paul to the Romans. People who are interested only in unspiritual things can never be pleasing to God. Your interests, however, are not of the unspiritual, but in the spiritual, since the Spirit of God has made his home in you. In fact, unless you possess the Spirit of Christ, 
you would not belong to him. Though your body may be dead, it is because of sin. But if Christ is in you, then your spirit is life itself, because you have been justified. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, then he who raised Jesus from the dead will give life to your own mortal bodies through his spirit living in you. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Glory and praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. I am the resurrection and the life, says the Lord. Whoever believes in me will not die forever. Glory and praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. Glory to you, O Lord. There was a man named Lazarus who lived in the village of Bethany with the two sisters, Mary and Martha, and he was ill. It was the same Mary, the sister of the sick man Lazarus, who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair. The sisters sent this message to Jesus. Lord, the man you love is ill. On receiving the message, Jesus said, This sickness will end not in death, but in God's glory. And through it, the Son of God will be glorified. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Yet when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed where he was for two more days before saying to the disciples, let us go to Judea. The disciples said, Rabbi, it is not long since the Jews wanted to stone you. Are you going back again? Jesus replied, are there not 12 hours in the day? A man can walk in the daytime without stumbling because he has the light of this world to see by. But if he walks at night, he stumbles because there is no light to guide him. He said that and then added, Our friend Lazarus is resting. I am going to wake him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he's able to rest, he's sure to get better. The phrase Jesus used referred to the death of Lazarus, but they thought that by rest he meant sleep. So Jesus put it plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake I am glad I was not there, because now you will believe. But let us go to him. Then Thomas, known as the twin, said to the other disciples, Let us go too and die with him. On arriving, Jesus found that Lazarus had been in the tomb for four days already. Bethany is only about two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to sympathise with them over their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus had come, she went to meet him. Mary remained sitting in the house. Martha said to Jesus, If you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, whatever you ask of God, he will grant you. Your brother, said Jesus to her, will rise again. Martha said, I know he will rise again at the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. If anyone believes in me, even though he dies, he will live. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she said. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, the one who was to come into this world. 
When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in a low voice, The Master is here and wants to see you. Hearing this, Mary got up quickly and went to him. Jesus had not yet come into the village. He was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were in the house sympathising with Mary saw her get up so quickly and go out, they followed her, thinking that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Mary went to Jesus, and as soon as she saw him, she threw herself at his feet, saying, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. At the sight of her tears, and those of the Jews who followed her, Jesus said in great distress, with a sigh that came straight from the heart, Where have you put him? They said, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. And the Jew said, See how much he loved him? But there were some who remarked, He opened the eyes of the blind man. Could he not have prevented this man's death? Still sighing, Jesus reached the tomb. It was a cave with a stone to close the opening. Jesus said, Take the stone away. Martha said to him, Lord, by now he will smell. This is the fourth day. Jesus replied, have I not told you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you for hearing my prayer. I knew indeed that you always hear me. But I speak for the sake of all these who stand round me, so that they may believe it was you who sent me. When he had said this, he cried in a loud voice, Lazarus, here, come out. The dead man came out, his feet and hands bound with bands of stuff and a cloth round his face. Jesus said to him, Unbind him, let him go free. Many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what he did believed in him. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. In thinking about launching this podcast, one of the first things I had to do was to think of a name. And I originally wanted to call it The Good Thief. Now, sadly, that idea didn't eventuate because it turns out there's a podcast already called The Good Thief. But the reason why I wanted to call it The Good Thief is because I'm good at stealing. I'm good at stealing ideas. And... Today, I'd like to share with you a couple of ideas that are well and truly stolen. Stolen from St. John Henry Newman. John Henry Newman is perhaps the brightest English-speaking theologian we've had. He was a teacher at Oxford in the 19th century. And he was canonised in October of 2019. So he's only recently a new saint. But because of his canonization, a whole bunch of new stuff about John Henry Newman has been published. And one of the books that I've been reading during Lent is a book called The Tears of Christ. And it's a collection of little short Lenten meditations to assist in the preparation for Easter. And a couple of these little meditations are about the gospel that we've heard today. Now, during Lent, we've had these long gospels on Sundays, these kind of these long extended masterpieces, which are reflections on such deep theological themes. 
But what I wanted to share is a question that John Henry Newman raises. And he says, this short little phrase that appears in this story about the raising of Lazarus, the shortest phrase, in fact, in the Gospel of John, is Jesus wept. Why does Jesus weep? At first glance, we would say, well, it's just a natural reaction in the face of death. And yet there are a few things about this story that make it somewhat curious. Because if Jesus was just upset at the fact that his friend Lazarus had died, well then, why did he wait two days before going to assist Lazarus? Why did he wait until Lazarus was actually dead before he went over to help him? Because this question that both Martha and Mary have, look, if you were here, you could have saved him, is absolutely true. And the other fact is, is even though Jesus did wait for two days, why is he weeping, knowing what he's going to do? He knows he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. So why cry about it? Why is he upset? John makes an observation. Mary went to see Jesus, and as soon as she saw him, she threw herself at his feet, saying, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. At the sight of her tears and those of the Jews who followed her, Jesus said in great distress with a sigh that came from his heart, Where have you put him? They said, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Jesus weeps for the tears of those who weep. Now, this is what compassion is. Compassion literally comes from a conjunction of two Latin words, cum and patire, to suffer with. Compassionate people are ones who rejoice with the rejoicing and who weep with those who weep. And so Jesus shows compassion. He cries with those who cry. But from there, Newman goes into a rather interesting reflection. He says, look, if you consider God up there in heaven, in eternity, in his perfection, how is it that we can understand God's compassion? That at the sight of us, that he is moved. Now, remember that Newman is a theologian, so he's thinking about things at a pretty deep level. And he points out that it, it's kind of problematic to ascribe emotions to God Almighty. Because God's perfect, right? And he's eternal. He stands outside of time. What does it mean then to say that, well, God has compassion, that when he looks upon us, he is moved with pity at our sorrow, that he's moved with joy at our rejoicing. Because if God suddenly became joyful because of our joy, that would mean that there's a change that happens in God. He went from being less joyful to being more joyful. So if God is perfect, how is it that he went from having less joy to more joy? Was he not perfect before he had joy or having more joy? Did that make him less perfect? It's hard for us to imagine changes happening to one who is perfect. Now, John Henry Newman isn't saying that God doesn't have compassion. What he's saying is that we can't get it. We can't understand what that means, that God would be compassionate from the place of perfection and of eternity. 
It's a pretty deep question. So I'm just going to quote from John Henry Newman's reflection directly because I can't do it justice otherwise. He says this, How could we discern in the eternal and unchangeable, in God, right, signs of sympathy? Words and works of sympathy he does display to us, but it's the very sight of sympathy in another that affects and comforts the sufferer more even than the fruits of it. So John Henry Newman points out that, you know, throughout human history, God has shown in an infinite number of ways the signs of his compassion. And we can see that written all through the Old Testament, the way that God looks upon Israel and has pity for them and loves and cares and supports them. But, says Newman, it's one thing to show the fruit of compassion, the ways in which you help others. But, says Newman, compassion is really shown in the emotion of the other, in the face of the other. I know someone's compassion when they sorrow with me. I know someone's compassion when they rejoice with me. And God was invisible. We could see the signs of his caring, but we can't see his caring. And we struggle to understand with our own little human time-dependent, pea-sized brains, what it means for God to have compassion. And so it seems here that God is a little bit handcuffed. The fact of being pure spirit, the fact of being so far greater than us, becomes a difficulty for God to express his compassion to us. So what does he do? I'm going to quote from Newman again. God invested himself with a new set of attributes, those of our flesh, taking into him a human soul and body in order that thoughts, feelings and affections might be his, which could respond to ours and certify to us his tender mercy. In other words, in order to show us his love, he took on a human face. God the Son is born into the human family and looking into his eyes, beholding his face, nothing would speak more powerfully of God's tender mercy, of his compassion, than the tears of Christ. Jesus weeps and he shows us the heart of God. Something which we could only see signs of in the world the ways that God cared. But now, in his tears, we see God's compassion on display in a way that we can understand, in a way that we can appreciate. And so today, I think we have good cause to sit with the Lord in his tears and to behold his compassion. His compassion, not just for Martha and Mary and the other mourners, but the compassion that Jesus has all of his creation that suffers as a consequence of sin and under the burden of death. This is what Jesus has come to do. He's come to deal with these enemies of ours. His tears are a sign of the mercy of God, the mercy of God come to deal with our enemies. Now, my thieving's not yet over because there's another point that John Henry Newman makes, 
which I think is really helpful for our own preparation in this Lenten season. This miracle doesn't come for free. There's a price that comes to be paid. And the price is paid by Jesus. If you remember at the beginning of the Gospel text, when Jesus decides after these two days that he is going to go and visit Lazarus, Thomas, the apostle, then says to the other disciples, let us go too and die with him. You see, Jesus knows that heading down south, heading to Judea, heading to Jerusalem, means that he's going into a place of great danger, into a place where he's hated and despised by the powerful. And Thomas, with, with great bravado, says, Well, Lord, if you're going into a place of risk, we're going with you. We will die with you. Now, when Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, his profile explodes. We finished the gospel text with this phrase. Many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what he did believed in him. But it goes on. It says, but some of them went to tell the Pharisees what Jesus had done. And then the chief priests and Pharisees called a meeting. Here is this man working all these signs, they said. And what action are we taking? If we let him go on in this way, Everybody will believe in him, and the Romans will come and destroy the holy place and our nation. And that's when we hear about Caiaphas. Caiaphas, who has that famous phrase, it's better for one man to die than for the whole nation to be destroyed. And so, if there's one event that really set in motion the final plot of Jesus' death, it's his raising of Lazarus. And so Newman adds another layer to these tears of Christ. On one level, the tears of Christ are the manifestation of God's compassion. We see his tender love on display as the tears roll down his cheek. But Jesus also knows that if he's going to raise Lazarus, he's going to do so only by means of entering into the tomb himself. He's going to have to take Lazarus's place. The fame that comes about as a consequence of him raising Lazarus is going to be the very thing that brings about his crucifixion and death. It's almost like a mini Garden of Gethsemane experience. And Jesus weeps. And here I think we see good reason why the church places this long gospel before us for our contemplation, because we're about to head into Holy Week. We're about to go into Passion Sunday when we will hear about Jesus' suffering and death. We come into contact with Christ's love, which says, in order to raise you from your tombs, I'm willing to enter into mine. Now, odds are we're going to have a very strange Holy Week in our homes and not at church. But I think that won't stop us from entering into the heart of Christ. He shows us his tears as a sign of his love. And we can enter into that heart, even if we cannot yet enter into his church.
at the Saviour's command and formed by divine teaching, we dare to say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Deliver us, Lord, we pray, from every evil. Graciously grant peace in our days, that by the help of your mercy, we may be always free from sin and safe from all distress, as we await the blessed hope and the coming of our Saviour, Jesus Christ. For the kingdom, the power and the glory are yours, now and forever. Let us welcome Christ in our hearts with an act of spiritual communion. My Jesus, I believe that you are present in the most holy sacrament. I love you above all things, and I desire to receive you into my soul. Since I cannot at this moment receive you sacramentally, come at least spiritually into my heart. I embrace you as if you were already there, and unite myself wholly to you. Never permit me to be separated from you. Amen. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go in peace. Thanks be to God. And we finish by praying Pope Francis's prayer to Mary during the coronavirus pandemic. O Mary, you always shine on our path as a sign of salvation and of hope. We entrust ourselves to you, health of the sick, who at the cross took part in Jesus' pain, keeping your faith firm. You, salvation of the Roman people, know what we need, and we are sure you will provide, so that, as in Cana of Galilee, we may return to joy and to feasting after this time of trial. Help us, Mother of Divine Love, to conform to the will of the Father and to do as we are told by Jesus, who has taken upon himself our sufferings and carried our sorrows, to lead us through the cross to the joy of the resurrection. Amen. Under your protection we seek refuge, Holy Mother of God. Do not disdain the entreaties of we who are in trial, but deliver us from every danger. O glorious and blessed Virgin. Amen. Thanks for praying with us, and may God bless you abundantly, so that this day may give glory to God our Father.